All right, guys. What character from a high school-centric TV show would make a good horror protagonist or villain? Well, let's see. Hmm. You know, we all know that Zach Morris is the villain of Saved by the Bell, so I'm going to take that one off the table. Zach Morris is a saint. You shut your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Garrett with the hot takes. It's a little bit out of left field, but I think this would be an interesting take. I would take Danny Lightfoot from Hey Dude as my horror villain, because I think that'd be really interesting. Now, if I if memory serves, which it often doesn't, I believe Danny Lightfoot was the Native American cowboy kid. That is correct. Okay, you're going to have to explain that because I remember him being a pretty nice fella. He's a really nice fella, but I don't think there's enough uh, horror movies with uh, Native American uh, representation. So Mm -hmm. I'd like to give that man a shot. Let's see it happen. You're gonna have to give me. You're gonna have to give me a little bit more to work with. Like, why? What would be his methods of killing, and uh, what would be his motivation? Can you give me those? Well, his motivation is pretty easy. They built a dude ranch on his people's land. Well, end of story right there. Okay. Okay. Now kills. You know, I'm gonna leave that to someone much more talented than myself. I don't know. I mean, it's a dude ranch, so I feel like we have to have someone get roped and drug. Um. You know, something with horseshoes. I'd like to see someone branded. Mm. Branded. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's 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 a infinite possibilities here. Okay, I'm liking this. What would we call it? <laughs> hey, dude, get the fuck off my land. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, please. I think you accidentally just wrote Gran Torino too. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got, John? I would go with Urkel from Family Matters. Uh, his method of killing would, of course, be some sort of ridiculous invention that he created. Oh, it could be like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing. Maybe it's Stefan who's the actual murderer. That was his like cool... Stefan Urkel. Yeah. Cool name, right? Yeah. So Urkel doesn't know what happens. He becomes Stefan, lures people in, kills them, switches back to Urkel, and uh, then you have to deal with that whole situation. I'm just saying we go with the whole American Psycho type thing where um, Stefan Urkel works at a science lab, and then he goes into Steve Urkel mode and kills people. Dig it. Yeah. Uh, Some take on that, I think, could be interesting. It's pretty impressive what the 90s let Family Matters get away with. He built himself a fucking robot cop (laughs) that protected a convenience store against robots. Robbers. He went into outer space. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, hold on. A robot cop? A Robocop, if you will? Yes. He made an <laughs> Urkelbot who became a security guard. Come on, baby. Let's energize. <laughs> How do you know so much about this show, Mark? Thank God it's Friday. Every week, dude, for seven years plus, man. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember exactly when, but that show had to be syndicated and put into my brain multiple times a week, too. It was a huge-ass television show. It was everywhere. Yeah, it was big. Uh, they aired 215 episodes of Family Matters. Woo! That's, that's pretty good. So many. Yeah. Yeah, and then when you're talking about the Stefan Urkel shit, like he had a machine that turned him cool, and then he had a pill that would turn him normal. Like, it's insane what these guys came up with and were allowed to actually put to film celluloid. When you've written 200 scripts... You need to start just going, you know, wherever the script takes you. <laughs> Space, sure. You know what? Why not? It's episode 190 or whatever. 
fuck it, let's do it. Then what's Leprechaun's excuse? Because they went to space after like four. Well, it was the 90s. Everything loved to go into space. If they could figure out a way to put things in space, uh, they were going to do it. Okay. It's almost hard to believe that this Family Matters television show was a spinoff of Perfect Strangers and had nothing to do with Steve Urkel. <laughs> yeah. Talk, man, talk about a spinoff surpassing its parent show. Uh, nobody talks about perfect strangers anymore. Just Garrett. Oh, you want to see my Balky Bartokamus back tattoo? <laughs> <laughs> I've got a cousin Larry under my thigh. Why don't you come back to my place, baby? I'm going to show you my dance of joy. There's a horror movie. <laughs> I went with Ginny from Gossip Girl. She's portrayed by actress Taylor Momsen, and her method of killing is going to be poison black eyeliner. So the reason she's going to turn into a villain is that she keeps getting made fun of by Blair Waldorf and her friends from the Met continuously. Now's her chance to destroy the next generation and take back the title of high school queen. But the way she's going to do it is she's going to tell all the girls that guys can tell if high school girls and college girls are wearing their makeup uh, wrong. So, you know, college girls have a little more artsy way of wearing the makeup. Um, So she's going to pass out this killer eyeliner. They're going to all put it on and they're all just going to drop dead with this poison eyeliner. And that's my answer. Mark, was this just an excuse for you to talk about Gossip Girl again? <laughs> no follow-up questions, please. I actually have no idea what I just read. I had my wife write it for me. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, knowing nothing about Gossip Girls, I'm going to agree. Yeah, that sounded solid. No, please. I can't say anything more than I've just committed to this podcast episode. Uh, no, I don't watch a lot of high school shows. I never have, but I know someone who does. So I thought I'd ask <laughs> her for her answer. And uh, from what I just read, it sounds like a pretty good answer to me. There you go. Yeah. My answer would have been something stupid like Screech Powers from Saved by the Bell would end up being the final girl because he's... Wait, is Screech's last name Powers? Really? Uh-huh. Oh, God. You got it. He's a virgin. That's why he'd make it to the end. Never mind real life Dustin Diamond being a giant shitbag. Scree- <laughs> I'm just talking about Screech the character. Right. Got to separate art from artist in this one. <laughs> For Hey, all you creatures from cyberspace. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Grave Talk podcast. My name is Mark. Again, joined with Garrett and John. Fellas, it's a rainy Saturday. We're back at it. How are you guys doing? Eh, I'm doing. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's uh, keep the enthusiasm rolling. Uh, I'm I'm loving what I'm feeling. (laughs) I've got the Mike Tyson fight tonight. I'm going to go make some drinks. We're going to eat some leftover turkey. Uh, I got a ton of food because I ordered way too much. Because I don't know how much four pounds of turkey minus bone is. It's way more than I expected. And I'm going to be eating turkey for like a month and a half. You ordered food instead of making it? Oh, yeah. It's only three of us, man. So uh, I just went ahead and ordered from Lucy's Fried Chicken. They were doing a bunch of deals and uh, their food's generally pretty good. Right on. What what about y'all? What'd y'all do for Thanksgiving? Anything cool? No, did not make four pounds of turkey, uh, but <laughs> nothing terribly exciting. It was uh, pretty small, just my wife and my mother-in-law and, uh, and two friends, uh, and that was it. Wow. Yeah, it was just uh, me and the roommate and the uh, the girlfriend kept that quarantine bubble fucking tight. Shit's getting real out there, so we're not messing around. Um, yeah, we made food. It was good. Good for you guys. Glad to see that we did what we're supposed to do, unlike 88% of the rest of America who flew everywhere 
and we're probably going to have a massive wave 10. I don't know how many waves we've gone through so far, but this is uh, is, going to be bad. If you guys saw the numbers, man, it's getting bad out there. I mean, for there to be a break in the wave, the numbers would have had to not been terrible the whole time. We're still in wave one. We've never figured out wave one. Good point. Good point. Well, let's go ahead and forget about all that terrible real life horror horror and talk about one from 2009 unless you guys want to talk about any movies that you've uh, watched recently john um i watched a movie on shutter called the mortuary collection i'm a sucker for anthology films so it started off high for me uh, and it was pretty good you know it wasn't amazing but especially for being a shutter exclusive or original uh it was better than i expected Uh, i'd recommend it how many two three four shorts what are we talking four maybe five four or five um oh and on shutter uh shutter sponsor us i watched a documentary uh about the exorcist that i can't remember what it's called now but it was uh the director just talking and telling us all cool behind the scenes stuff um and that was really interesting if you like the exorcist uh not probably very compelling for anybody else though but if you're a big fan of that uh movie i would highly recommend the document that documentary is called leap of faith william fridkin on the exorcist there you go uh and that's it for me i don't know if you guys have ever experienced this but i have um had fleeting memories of a movie that has been inside my skull for 30 years and it was a movie that I had watched back in the early 90s, and I never knew what it was called. Even with the help of the internet, I couldn't figure it out until someone finally messaged me on Facebook and said, hey, the stuff you're describing sure sounds a lot like this movie. And it turns out it was that movie, and that movie's called The House on Tombstone Hill. It's also called The Dead Come Home. It's also called, my favorite title, Dead Dudes in the House. With the 90s ass box art you've ever seen, this movie wasn't streaming anywhere, not on Shutter, not on YouTube, couldn't even find a freaking copy out on the high seas. I had to buy this thing on Blu-ray. I got it, and I watched it, and it's bad, <laughs> and I'm disappointed. <laughs> I don't know what I was expecting with it. It hadn't been released uh, until Blu-ray outside of its original VHS release, and I think there's a reason for that. So basically, what is this movie? It's a movie about a group of college kids who buy a, a shoddy-looking mansion house in the middle of nowhere, and they're, gonna, they're coming over for the weekend to renovate. Every character in the show is stupid, one-note, and uh, very unlikable, and this house is haunted by the ghost of an 85-year-old woman who's killing them off one by one, and it's... It's got the problem where it's far too long. Every time we say that, I feel like we like, I wonder if our audience is like, these guys just can't handle movies over an hour and a half, but it's just that there's so much of nothing going on, especially this movie right now is a lot of shaking doors that unexplicably lock and they won't open for no good reason. Like the windows, it's just, it's teenagers rattling doors and windows and then dying. That's literally what the movie is. So if you get any wild hairs about watching this movie, I recommend you don't just go on YouTube and look up the best of clips. There's like two minutes of the kills. You've seen all you need to see and walk away. I'm surprised this movie ended up on Blu-ray. If it hasn't been replaced or uh, released since VHS, I wonder what stirred them to be like, 
all right, we got to give this the HD remaster it deserves. This one was put out by Vinegar Syndrome. I've heard of this company before, and I think this is kind of what they do is they they grab these older movies that don't get a lot of attention and and re-release these things. So I appreciate them doing this. You know, a lot of these forgotten stuff can get re-released to those who really want to see it again. Uh, For instance, I don't know if you guys remember Blood Harvest. They re-released that one. That's the one that has Tiny Tim as a clown. Garrett, your favorite Tiny Tim? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's like a murdering uh, crazy man who dresses up like a clown. It's actually a pretty sad movie, actually. Uh, But yeah, go check them out. Vinegar Syndrome. Maybe you'll see a movie that you caught on Cinemax when you were nine. It's been haunting your dreams for the last 30 years. No, that none of that matters because Vinegar Syndrome belongs on a pedestal for the rest of our life because those bad motherfuckers brought us a 4K restoration of the 80s classic rad on blu-ray so wow shouts out to them they brought us rad again before that you couldn't find that movie anywhere except for like bootleg copies on ebay and man they did it right i bought that shit day of release i bought that shit on itunes i double dipped immediately and of course it went on sale like the week after i bought it but um (laughs) yeah no, um, yeah, they brought us rad. So Vinegar Syndrome is pretty cool about that. They they pull off some, they dust off some classics and just like put them out in like good quality. So hats off to them for sure. Definitely appreciate it. Uh, another one I saw in their catalog here, I don't, I don't, or John, I don't know if you've seen this one. It's called Spookies. That one looks really interesting. I'm gonna, I may be picking that one up soon. Uh, the cover art alone looks crazy. There's a bunch of demons and, and ghosts and, and witch things um, haunting these people. So it's from 1985. They're haunted by ghosts, demons, and witches? <laughs> oh. Yeah. Maybe even a, a cyclops, if I'm looking at this image correctly. It's all kinds of shit. Anyway. Oh, boo. Give us more werewolves. There might be a werewolf, Garrett. I can't tell. The artists, uh, you know, artists take liberties. So. <laughs> hey, you shut your mouth. We do what we have to do, okay? <laughs> I, uh, I saw your tweet, Garrett. I got to tell you, I don't know if I'm on team werewolf. You don't know if you're on team werewolf. No. Uh, I don't know that we need more werewolf films. I think they've been done. What are you talking about? There's not a lot to add to the werewolf mythos. Werewolf? Werewolf. But that's the problem. It's it's ripe. It's ripe for like reimagining. We need more. How are you going to overtake whatever ridiculous howling movie we did on this show? It was Howling 2, Your Sister's a Werewolf. And I don't know how you can over... I don't know if you can go over that, but I do think that we can add to that. Okay. (laughs) More movies at that level. Exactly. There's actually a pretty cool new werewolf movie coming out called Late Phase. Um, It's coming out in the UK. I don't know if it's out over here in the States yet, but I need to check it out. Um, That one looks pretty creepy. But no, I just just think we need more werewolf movies. I mean, we just don't... We haven't had a lot of them. The ones that we have had more recently, eh, you know, one was the Benicio Del Toro werewolf, but that was kind of like straight up AAA Hollywooded up, and I didn't really... It was okay. Um, and then we had what? I mean, it was a while back, but like Brotherhood of the Wolf. That was kind of interesting. But no, there's just, I'm, I'm, I'm ride or die a werewolf. So go fuck yourself, vampires and Frankensteins and mummies. And y- y'all suck compared to werewolves. And I'll stand by it. <laughs> I enjoyed Wolf Cop. That one was pretty good. Yeah, Wolf Cop was pretty fun. I haven't been up to a whole lot. I, I did run through all the Final Destination films. Um I don't know why I got this weird hair up my ass just to kind of like, I was like, Oh, let me watch final destination. And I was like, I wonder if two is as bad as this one. I ended up binging the whole damn series. I got to admit 
they're a fucking blast. There is one that stands out as just absolutely terrible, but the rest are very enjoyable. Um, I've kind of come around on the Final Destination series. Welcome to the fandom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Other than that, not much else. Well, unless we got anything else to bring up, uh, let's get into today's movie, which uh, is 2009's Jennifer's Body. This one was directed by Karen Kusama and was written by Diablo Cody, uh, known for her work on Juno. This one is sitting at a 45% on Rotten Tomatoes out of 203 critics and an audience score of 34% out of 359,106 reviews. Wow. Okay, real quick about the reviews. I don't know if you guys have sat down and read any of the reviews, but oh my fucking God, they are a goldmine of insanity. Just I mean, it is insane to watch, like to read these. Um, we dug through, like, I think we spent like 45 minutes yesterday reading reviews off the iTunes store alone. People who haven't seen the movie, people that want to let you know Megan Fox can just get it. Um, people who want to talk about how bad the movie is, even though they haven't seen it. People who want to criticize other reviewers for being like 14-year-old horny boys. Other reviewers who are just really upset that Megan Fox is still getting roles. Other reviews of people defending Megan Fox. Oh my God, it is all over the place and it is fantastic. That almost sounds more enjoyable than the movie. You take that back right now, Mark. Well, I'm not. (laughs) I'm going to leave it out there. And uh, I'm going to add that out of all the critiques that I read, uh, I didn't read any user comments, Garrett. That sounds like the section you were in mostly. They kept saying how clever the dialogue was and I just kept going, where was that? I didn't see any cleverness. I heard tragedy boner. And a lot of phrases like that that I didn't find clever at all. So that's a bunch of old people going like, oh, I guess that's what the kids use. This is cool slang. <laughs> it's This was the one part of the movie. Uh, hot take. I actually enjoyed this movie for being a bad movie. The dialogue was the only part of this film that I thought was horrible. Everything else, I was like, cool, I'm down with this. I liked the dialogue. And I think we are looking back now at a teenage movie from 11 years ago. Right. So how they spoke felt to me, this was like such an interesting time capsule for a time that doesn't seem that long ago, but really is ancient history. Now, those like real early 2000s high school experience. I don't know. To me, that was like, you know what? If it was if teenagers were sharper, this is how they would have talked back then. No, no, you're wrong, John. I'm so sorry. You are absolutely wrong. No one says, no one describes someone that they liked as a salty morsel. No one ever said jello. What? Green jello when you were jealous. Definitely not true. Every fucking person in this movie, everyone in this movie quipped as if they were fucking like the wittiest kid on the block and it was just so overpowering. Now, if one or two characters did it to each other, that'd be one thing i'd like oh okay because like in juno her friend and her had like a really quirky little like way of communicating and that worked but even adults in this movie were fucking like making up words and quipping and it was like no it, oh god it took me out of this movie so bad garrett i think john's gonna tell you to move on.org <laughs> okay that was great no it wasn't no it wasn't <laughs> also people say jello and and jelly all the time. That is a that is definitely no, not jelly. Because I remember jelly, jello, yeah, green jello. I mean, that's it's in the same vein. Okay, John, I think you're being a little freak tarded right now, and we're gonna move on with the episode. Okay. Oof, you're gonna get canceled for that, Mark. Oh God, the dialogue. 
Uh, I didn't say it first. <laughs> I'm just quoting the movie. All right. This one had a budget of 16 million bucks and managed to get 31.6 in return. So that's about break evens. Um, yeah, I don't remember a lot of uh, positivity around this one when it came out. Not not in the least, to be honest, uh, at least in my circles. What about you guys? Were people like clamoring to go see this? I remember the trailers and I remember a lot of people being excited about it, but I don't remember any actually going to see it. Yeah, I remember the trailers and I remember being like, oh, this is just a dumb Megan Fox movie and I didn't go see it. And I think that's what most of my peer group thought as well. Yeah. And now I regret that. I should have gone and seen it. I will say that after watching it, finally, um, I'm going to take back a little of mental criticism that I had. Um, I have always pegged Megan Fox to be a horrible actress, and this one wasn't so bad. Uh, I mean, let me take that back. I think this movie's awful, but it wasn't because of her acting. And I think most of where my uh, opinion of her comes from the terrible, terrible movie Jonah Hex. She was awful in Jonah Hex. But that whole movie's awful. So now I think I might need to revisit that and see if it was exactly her fault or just the whole movie being a pile of shit. <laughs> well, let's chalk that one up to another movie that I didn't think anybody had ever seen. <laughs> but Mark has seen Jonah Hex. Um, no, I, I 100% agree that Megan Fox is not a bad actress. I don't think that she's going to win an, uh, an Oscar anytime soon. But the thing is, is I just think she gets really one-dimensional, boring roles. Like even the Transformers role. I don't think that she was terrible in Transformers. I just think that character was boring as fucking Transformers. And that's what we see here. Um, she did a fine job of portraying this character I just think this character is poorly written and one dimensional. Yeah, it, they could be. Uh, she could be getting selected strictly for her looks, right? And they they write around that, and every role she's ever had has been that. But one that does come to mind that I didn't really, I don't know. She was April O'Neil in those recent Turtle movies. I don't remember her doing that great of a job as an April O'Neil, though. Yeah, but she wasn't that bad as an April O'Neil. I think again, she's she's not a bad actress. She's just not. I mean, she's not going to hit it out of the park, but she's getting on base. I mean, I got to give her that. All right. Well, let's see who else is in this one. We got, as mentioned, Megan Fox as Jennifer, Amanda Seyfried as Needy, Johnny Simmons as Chip Dove, Adam Brody as Nikolai, Saul Cortez as Chaz, Ryan Levine as Mick, Juan Redinger as Dirk. I'm saying all these names, and I only I don't I only know the first three that I've read so far. Uh, <laughs> Chris Pratt in a tiny uh, cameo role as Officer Roman Duda. Obviously, he wasn't famous yet. Oh, and J.K. Simmons as the only teacher in this high school and officiator of the dance, and probably principal. He probably works in the cafeteria. There's probably seven J.K. Simmons serving sloppy joes. <laughs> Was he a teacher? I thought he was like a grief counselor. Yeah, well, look, it's right after the financial crisis of 2008. School budgets were tight. My man is just wearing many hats. He's a little bit of everything, as Mark said. And for no good reason at all, the man has a hook hand. <laughs> it plays no importance to anything other than like what maybe JK was like, what about my character is, is unique? I need something to go on here. And you're like, uh, you got a hook hand. He's like, I can do it. <laughs> They're like, you have a loose perm. He's like, not good enough. Give me something else. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what the back of the DVD has to say about Jennifer's body. Through the trees, I will find you. I will 
sexy temptress Megan Fox is hotter than hell as Jennifer, a gorgeous, seductive cheerleader who takes evil to a whole new level after she's possessed by a sinister demon. Steamy action and gore galore ensue as the male student body succumbs to Jennifer's insatiable appetite for human flesh. Now it's up to her best friend to stop Jennifer's reign of terror before it's too late. It was short, you know, I got that going for it. Wasn't as long as some of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's something. So it sounds like John is a hundred percent pro this movie. Garrett maybe seventy percent this movie. And I am gonna be like at a forty five percent if I was grading this film. And I'll tell you why. This this is basically the O C or Greek or Gossip Girls or one of those freaking teenage centric um, movies and flavors with a tiny bit of horror sprinkled in. And I don't think it goes heavy enough in the horror In Diablo Cody. I don't know much about her other than like you guys said, Juno is something she did. And then she decided she wanted to write a horror movie. And I just don't think we got enough of that. Like the first 30 minutes, I wanted to turn it off. I'm like, I am so bored. I've just never been into this kind of stuff. Any of the high school dramas or college dramas that, that, um, populate, the UPNs or, or what, what have you is whatever's on cable boxes these days. I think, I think it was all acted fine. I also had some issues with the soundtracks being a little heavy handed. I don't know if it completely follows its own rules and logic when it comes to demons. I had, I had a few issues there, but that's kind of where I'm sitting with it. Uh, tell me what you guys think. Well, that actually brings me to my first question, because one of the user reviews on iTunes says, I watched this movie just to listen to this Florence and the Machine song. And I was like, bro, you're literally on iTunes. You can just buy the song. (laughs) But that brought up a very good point is, John, does this soundtrack slap? Um, I mean, for some, maybe. I am not, was never even at the time into this sort of... uh I don't know, Fallout Boy type rock. I don't know what it's called. Uh, so for me, no. But for folks who like that kind of stuff, maybe. Uh, there, There is only one track in this whole movie that I approved of. And that was when it, the, the kid who's into quote unquote maggot rock. <laughs> I don't know what that was, but that was said. And he was listening to Screeching Weasel's cover of I Can See Clearly Now. And I was like, oh, I like this tune, but what is Maggot Rock and why do I? Why am I now into Maggot Rock, apparently? Hey, Mark, Maggot Rock was a made-up term to describe music that somebody didn't quite know what to call it without using a hip term that they made up. Uh, again, this highlights my point. Every fucking thing that you could just say has like some made-up word. I know at one point she refers to a female boner as a weddy. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Oh, God, that's right. I was That was cringy as shit. And then the mom calls her daughter's like vagina a kiki. I mean, and then like when you like even like referring to a spoon, it'd be like, oh, take your food shovel. And it's like, dude, seriously, enough with the fucking lingo. Like that was my biggest. Pro- I enjoyed this movie, actually. I kind of like the um, I, I agree with you. It was definitely horror light. Um, but I did not think the movie was bad in any form or fashion, except for just the the dialogue was so much nonstop. Now, I don't mind it if they would have toned it down just a tad or if it had been specific characters, but holy shit, that was rough. But I had a lot of fun with this. This movie was bad enough to be enjoyable when we find out exactly like 
more about the band that we're going to talk about. I was like, I was on board. I was like, this is dumb as hell and I'm totally cool with it. Um, so I enjoyed it from a more like, let's have fun with this kind of like shitty horror movie perspective. But it sounds like John, uh, you, you enjoyed it quite a bit though. Yeah. I like this movie. I think y'all are grading it on a very stiff curve considering, you know, some of the other movies we hold up as, uh, awesome. This, I mean, I, I think the dialogue in this film is as realistic as any high school movie dialogue is. Now, is it a little quippy? Yes. And that's that there and there lies part of my problem, John, is I don't find any of these high school movies ever to be believable. Well, yeah. It doesn't feel like high school ever. It feels like a 40-year-old thinks they know what the high schoolers are into, and then they write around that. And that's that's kind of where this movie falls in. Plus, here's a little bit of horror sprinkles on top. Is it, those are staples of the genre. And I think you are uh, way overaging how old Diablo Cody is. She's only 42 right now. So 11 years ago, she was 31. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have told you what the kids were into when I was 31. Though. It just reminds me of someone trying to write a Tarantino movie. Now, don't get me wrong. Diablo Cody, I thought Juno was great. I don't think Diablo Cody's a bad writer. I just think that she went a little hard on the the lingo. I mean, again, I actually recommend this movie. I had a lot of fun watching this movie. Um, there was multiple times I got to yell at the screen. And so I was happy about that. But I think y'all are generalizing saying because I don't talk this way. Nobody talks this way. And I don't think that's true. I think that there are in groups of people. I've you know, I've seen it with my wife and her friends that have these sort of unique terms for things. I don't think it's as far off the mark as y'all are implying where it's like this is the most unrealistic dialogue that's ever dialogued it's like uh, i don't buy that i think that two people who have been friends since they were kids like sandbox kids might have a lot of their own in lingo and that's pretty believable i see what you're saying john and i think you're i think you're i you make a very good point um you know we are we are removed enough to where it does sound very foreign and awkward um it just, I don't know. It just seemed, it was relentless to me. And I, I don't know. Is Am I the problem? I think if you go back and watch Juno now, for example, you would find it just as annoying. Everybody in, this is how Diablo Cody movies are. Everyone talks like they're Aaron Sorkin scripts, right? I mean, there is a style that comes with the writer. I mean, and you either, I guess, buy into it or don't. And it sounds like you two don't buy into it, which is fine. I agree it's not for everybody. But to be like, oh, Juno is great, but this movie's not, I did I mean, everybody talked like they were 40 in Juno, too, and they were uh, comedians. Oh, see, I don't remember the parents being quite that, like, they, they didn't make up words and quip in Juno the way that, like, adults in this movie did. Um, I haven't seen Juno in a while, so maybe I'm, I'm misremembering it. I remember the kids doing it quite a bit, and I completely was okay with it. Like, when, when Jennifer and Needy, God, her name is Needy. That's so weird. Um are talking. I never, I never questioned the made up words except for the fact that it was just like a barrage. But when the parents started doing it, like when the, the principal counselor janitor, <laughs> JK Simmons, you know, was out there like trying to find pictures of Spider-Man, you know, and he's quipping away. I was like, yo, and then the mom starts doing it. And then the cops start doing it. And I'm like, okay, hold on. This is the hippest town that doesn't even have more than one bar. It's a, it's supposed to be a rural community, right? Right. And uh, that, that kind of plays into the sort of the, the first parts of the movie, too, is Megan Fox is this high school girl that's just 
oh, is she horny for the city boys? Like, <laughs> unbelievable. I'm just like, stop it. Please, what's the matter with you? Did you just say, oh, she horny for the city boys? Bro, did you not watch the same oh movie I did? God. It was just like, oh, please. <laughs> right, it's a movie. So everything in reality is like at least 125% in a movie, right? But I, there is, I think, a, a seed there in that when you grow up in these rural communities, you you're idealize being from the city or being like i mean i totally buy in that a high school girl would be like obsessed with being people outside of her little you know one stoplight town i thought it totally made sense uh real quick not to beat a dead horse but i'm going to i looked up the just went to the imdb page for juno and just scrolled through the quotes and the adults in that movie don't talk like grown-ups either uh so i think you you may be uh remembering it a little different than it actually was okay john you're right i'm wrong they still quip too much in this movie (laughs) mark cut that so that we so we can just put that in whenever garrett and i debate (laughs) (laughs) i'll make a sound bite out of it sure thank you fuck you both (laughs) all right maybe you're right john maybe i'm just not a uh, cody diablo Blanca, what is her Diablo Cody uh, uh, target audience? And I will sit here and tell you as a male, uh, almost 40 year old at this point, I was probably not the target demographic now. I was probably not the target demographic back then, except for the movie really wanted me to go watch Hot Hot Megan Fox, right? But this movie seems to have uh, the more I read about it and what Co- Diablo Cody and the uh, director. Karen Kusama have said about it, this film is more meant to be about female empowerment. And I think there is something to be said for that here, though. I don't know if they uh, realize that a lot of horror movies already had that, but I think this movie does count for that at least. I think we get that every couple, every couple years. I want to say maybe like every like five to 10 years we get, um, some movies that come out and it's like, finally, we're going to show what, you know, female empowerment or, you know, whatever this, specific thing is, you know, but I think that's just happens when you have um, young, fresh voices coming into a medium uh, where they don't see the representation that they feel is, is adequate. I think that we'll see that kind of like play into that. But uh, no, I got that message from this movie. It was pretty blatant at the end. It was very blatant at the end, but um, it, it was enjoyable. So anybody listening, if you're screaming at us old, old dudes, because we don't get it or, you know, that, Probably is the case. Okay, you can call me a lunkhead, whatever. Apologies. I mean, I see, I see the points of the movie. It just didn't really speak much to me. How does the movie start, Garrett? You said that you were really affected by the opening of this movie. The movie starts with a girl in a um, looks like a prison outfit jerking off on a stool in her room, um, her prison cell, if you will. But she's not actually jerking off. It's actually a behind the, the back shot, and uh, you see that um, needy. Needy. I'm saying N-E-E-D-Y. It sounds so weird to say, but her character is in, I guess, what, a psych ward or a prison? I think it's a prison, right? Yeah, I think it's like a a prison for the mentally uh, disturbed. Are you allowed to still say mentally disturbed? Uh, Mentally, I don't know. Yes. Uh, well, it's for people who have special situations. Um, so she's there and it looks like she's jerking off in a chair. And I was like, oh, well, we're just getting right into this. But uh, no, she's making a dream catcher out of popsicle sticks and yarn. 
um, very similar to probably what Mark made in Bible Camp. Oh yeah, I made several of those. <laughs> she's doing uh, she's doing a voiceover about how like like here I am. I used to be you know a, a small town girl, but now I'm in this prison and I, I my my file says that I kick. And we're seeing all these scenes of her going around and doing things. And it looks like she has like almost some kind of supernatural um, strength to what she does because at one point she hits a tether ball and it flies off the string and she kicks a, a doctor slash orderly and then they go flying across a table and we're supposed to get this whole like, I'm a real badass kind of feel. And then she's like, but I wasn't always like this. Bump, butter, bump, bump, bump. And then we cut back to, how did I get here? You ask? Well, let me <laughs> yeah. tell you. Yeah, pretty much is exactly. I think what it almost said. Um, I didn't mind that, but later on, this is something that really affected my viewing experience, and I don't know how you guys feel about it, but narration, voiceover narration in a horror movie usually tends to take me out of the uh, the mood of the film. I don't know if you guys had that at all in this. Hated it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I get it. I, I won't defend this very strongly because voiceover in general is weak in films. It all just reminds me of 50s film noir, but uh, uh, this didn't bother me any more than normal i would say it's a bit cliche at this point we've seen it done a lot um it's not my favorite storytelling uh vehicle either uh but it didn't it wasn't the point of the film that i was like oh, i'm over this you know par for the course i guess for 2009 yeah it always just kind of takes me out of the moment especially in horror films when it has it because it's all like and that's when i knew he was a vampire you know finding that out on your own through what you're seeing and experiencing is different than having someone tell you what's going on or what's going to happen. Um, so I don't know. It, it didn't bother me until like later in the film where she was kind of like going over some things that were happening. And I was like, Oh no, we already, we already got that. It just kind of made it feel weird for me, but she tells us she's going to tell us a story. We cut back to the very beginning. We see needy who is watching Jennifer do what flags or cheerleading. What was she doing? It was like, uh, I think like the flag team, I think that's a thing. A color guard, that's what we called it, I think, when I was in school. Yeah. I, I thought Megan Fox was too attractive to be on color guard. I thought, you know, like I was like, that girl could be like lead cheerleader, but I guess she like really enjoyed color guard or maybe that's like the same thing at certain schools. I don't know. I was never a cheerleader, so I'm not super up on it. But she was reading, I mean, getting way into the weeds here, but at the end of the movie when she's reading that magazine, it's a flag maga magazine, not a cheerleading magazine, so who knows? Well, the back of the box said she was a seductive cheerleader, so I don't know. <laughs> Maybe the back of the box person doesn't know the difference either. <laughs> but yeah, our flag team was all our flag team was definitely different than our uh, our cheerleader team um, at our high school, so I was kind of confused by that. I was like, I thought she was supposed to be a cheerleader. But um, so you clearly get this uh, this indication that Needy has um, a little bit more than just a, a regular friendship with uh, Jennifer. She's definitely got some kind of like deep seated like feelings for her. There's a little bit of like kind of a, a twinge of like lesbianism there. Um, and then one of the characters kind of calls it out. And then um, after that, we're immediately shot into a scene of them in the hallway, I think, kind of interacting with each other. Um, getting a dynamic for their their relationship. Megan is clearly the super popular, super hot girl, and Needy is in typical high school movie fashion. They've made her up to be like 
as unattractive as possible, even though Amanda Seyfried is like a beautiful woman. Yeah. Yeah. Here's this Hollywood trope again. Wear a pair of glasses and now you're a huge dork and nobody likes you. Like, okay. That was one of the least believable parts of the whole movie is everyone acting like uh, Needy was not equally attractive as Jennifer. Like, mm, just because she's wearing glasses, like I'm not buying it. Yeah, she had her hair tied back and she was wearing like sweaters and cardigan and everyone's like, oh, and it's like bullshit. Like, I mean, you take one look at her, you're like, she would be top dog. I mean, she was she's a gorgeous woman. But anyway, Needy has a boyfriend named Chip who looks like um, who's the lead singer of the monkeys? Um, <laughs> something Jones. Davey. Davy Jones. Tom. Tom Jones. Tom Jones. Tom Jones is in the monkeys. I would love that Tom Jones is in the monkeys. See me cry. <laughs> but uh you get the uh you get the information that needy has a boyfriend it's chip they've fucked you know they've established that too and then megan uh megan um jennifer walks in now one thing i have a problem in these high school movies too is is when like the hot girl comes into the the hallway she is wearing clothes that no administrator would ever let a girl wear in our high school like i've never seen a girl with like those types of outfits who would not be told to go home and change it's just baffling that they let this go. Really? Because to me, her outfit seemed like exactly what I remembered girls in high school more or less wearing. Exposed midsection. And her skirt. Also, there's that kid with the lip ring, and there's no way they let piercings in high school. Y'all must have gone to some seriously strict high schools. Uh, Texas, I, man. <laughs> Texas is crazy. Uh, yeah. I went to two. I went to one in Florida and one in New York, and neither of them did, did they seem particularly... Uh, did what these kids were wearing seem particularly out of place? We weren't even allowed to have face hair, John. Like we had to shave, like go home and shave. What? You couldn't have a mohawk. You couldn't have, I mean, oh yeah, no, it was crazy. A girl could not show stomach. Um, if your pants were too, like when the, when the low hipped, um, jeans were a style fucking bless you jeans. (laughs) Um, when they were a style, um, Oh, yeah. Girls could not wear those to school. It was a huge. Oh, man. Texas schools were crazy about dress code. It was nuts. I don't think girls could show stomach in my school either. Or boys, actually. I don't think anyone was allowed to show stomach. Uh, But if I remember Jennifer's outfits, the shirts went to the skirt. So I think she would be all right. No, no. She had full stomach shown. But anyway, the point being is I always find that like in Encino, man, they also had people dress in ways I was like, man, we would have never gotten to dress anywhere close to that in high school. But it sounds like it might have just been Texas, Mark, because evidently New York and Florida, you could just kind of show up butt naked as long as you're willing to learn. You know, the main thing I remember about my Florida high school's dress code is you weren't allowed to wear flip flops. (laughs) That irked me to no end. Really? We I had a buddy who wore flip flops every single day of his four year high school career. (laughs) Wait, were they flip flops or were they Birkenstocks? They were straight up like reefs. Remember reefs? Yeah. Oh, wow. It's funny how these rules are so different around the country. (laughs) But yeah, in my Florida school, you could not wear flip flops, uh, which was super irksome. So um, they, yeah, as as John said, they have a conversation. Megan says, we're going to go to a concert tonight at the only bar in town. And what is the band they're going to see? Low Shoulder. Ugh, yeah. Worst name ever. There is a scene, it's not super important, where Chip and Needy are hanging out before uh, the show, but we see the first hints that something strange in the way Jennifer and Needy are like bonded because Chip and uh, Needy are making out on the bed and then she's like, Jennifer's here. 
And Chip's like, how do you know? She's like, I don't know. I just know. And like three seconds later, you hear Jennifer from, you know, downstairs. And, uh, and that's like your first hint that these two were or maybe bonded tighter than normal. Yeah. She says, quit tamponing and come downstairs. Tamponing. Another hip word that the kids use. Um and so, yeah, no, that is actually very interesting because um, once we get to this bar, uh, we see a, a jock hit on um, Jennifer. I keep wanting to call her Megan. Uh, hit on Jennifer. She turns him down. She's like, oh, like he would even register on my scale. Then she immediately goes up to the band that looks like your standard like pop punk emo band of the time. Uh, and she starts flirting with them and Needy's there also. And then Needy asks them a question like, why are you guys even here? And they're like, uh, we like to go back to the the places we're from or something like that. It was clearly a bullshit excuse. And then so Needy goes and plays pinball while um, Megan goes up to get a drink from the bar. Now, that fucking freaked me out because she's like, I'm going to go get him drinks. And I was like, how is she going to get drinks? She's in high school. Yeah. She's going to play Hello Titty with the bartender. Hello Titty. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that entails. I assume it involves uh, prominently displaying her breasts, but that is how she explains. Because Needy asks, how are you going to get them drinks? And that's her response. Oh, I missed that. All I know is that when uh, the band is talking on stage, they're like, yo, I bet that one's a virgin. She looks like she gives it up, but she doesn't. And Needy hears this from across the bar as if she's fucking daredevil. Yep. And that was my first problem with this movie, like legitimate issue. She's over on the other side of the bar playing pinball. These guys are setting up at what I expect to be a loud bar. And they're basically whispering to each other and she hears it. And I'm like, no, 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 no movie. I know this is a little nitpick, but there's no fucking way that girl would have heard that shit over pinball. (laughs) <laughs> or a bar that's full of people talking and music playing. Yeah. Because um, there's background like jukebox music playing also. But anyway, she's got Daredevil hearing. Um, right before this, we also get to meet Chris Pratt, who's evidently a cadet. Or yeah, he's a cadet in training and evidently find out that um, he got to uh, nail Jennifer in the butt because that's a big point of conversation because she's like, I couldn't even walk the flags. I had to sit on a bag of ice. And I was like, oh, yeah, she calls it flag there, too. Yeah. Yeah, she does. Take that back, back of the box. <laughs> <laughs> Long story short, this shitty band starts playing their shitty song, and um, everyone is kind of like doing their like, oh, hey, we're watching a band in our small town. And then Needy notices a fire start and an outlet on the side of the stage, and then watches this fire light up half the fucking bar before she even bothers saying a goddamn word. I think... That happened in slow motion to Needy, but in real life happened at a very fast speed. That's what I, I think you're seeing it from her perspective where she's like in shock and it looks, it's every, like time has slowed down, but then when it's real life, everything goes much faster. No fire spreads that quick through a bar. I mean, even like the place would have to be coated in some kind of accelerant. When you build your bar out of pre-soaked gas rags and matchsticks, Garrett, this is how this happens. <laughs> I There's an open question of, is the fire supernatural? Oh. We know, uh, spoiler for the next 10 minutes, we know these guys are in a, have a deal with the devil uh, you know, and that's what why they're in this town. Uh, maybe this is you know part of that. This is a supernatural fire. You think they set the fire on purpose? Yes, I do think that. I'm gonna say no based on the end of the film when they reveal how these idiots got hold of their incantations. <laughs> 
half the band really not wanting to go through with it in the first place, I'm going to say no. I don't think they've done any of this before. I'm going to have to disagree with you, Mark. I think John's right. I think John, I never thought about it until right now, but I think John might be correct. Because their whole thing was, we want to become famous and a famous band. And they become famous for supposedly being heroes during this fire. This fire is what accelerates their career. It really, uh, so I think this fire is part of the whole demonic package. Yeah, because they're not bothered by the fire. But they hadn't done it yet. They hadn't. They hadn't done any of the ritual portions of it yet. And secondly, they did the ritual wrong. So I'm not going to say these guys are competent enough to have been in their van and done a little, you know, hex spell over the bar right before they start playing their lame hit. But they still got what they wanted. It seems like the fire might have been a good distraction for the town so they could go do their murder Mm -hmm. um, thing and have nobody like follow them or know what's going I don't know John makes a very convincing case now I'm not going to say it without a doubt he's right and Mark you could totally be right but um, in in the grand scheme of this movie it seems very plausible that this was part of their their plan but regardless the the bar catches on fire and is lit up instantly the whole thing's coming down Um, this was weird because there's an Indian exchange student there and he gets crushed by a beam it looks like a fiery beam but later on in the movie, he's walking home. I was like, what the fuck? Um, so everyone's running out on fire. And then Needy and um, Jennifer, Jennifer's in like some weird trance, right? Yes, which makes me think that they already had some kind of semi-magical powers. She's like hypnotized by this band. Mm, yeah, all right. Yeah, I, I thought so too. Because she was like, she was definitely entranced and he was like making eye contact with her on stage. So I think, yeah, I think John's right. He hypnotized her more or less because Needy and Jennifer run out of the thing and Jennifer's out of it. Like she's Needy's like, what's wrong with you? We got to get out of here. Everyone's on fire. And then the lead singer, um, Douche McCastle, I don't know his name, but whatever it is, like shows up and he's like, uh, he's like, oh, hey, um, why don't you drink this? And pretty much forces a goddamn like alcoholic beverages beverage down uh, Jennifer's mouth. And then it's like, hey, come get in our van. Mm-hmm. And Jennifer's like, hey, let's go get in these guys van. And he's like, what the fuck is going on here? Like I was like the first competent thing anyone's done. She's like, we have the Sebring. Yeah, we have the Sebring. There was a lot of really great funny moments in this movie. Like if, if you wanted to call this a horror a horror comedy, I'd be like, absolutely. There was a lot of really good um, moments like that. Yeah, I would second. I always, well, not always. Since I viewed it the first time, I assumed this was meant to be in a horror category, a horror comedy category. I think so, too. So at this point, Needy goes home after she lets her friend get in a van with a bunch of creepy dudes um, who clearly are not affected by this fire at all. They don't even seem to give a shit that the, the, the place is burning down. So yeah, even more credit to the fact that this is probably part of their plan. Um, Needy goes home, gets sits down, calls Chip on the phone. No one calls the fucking fire department at all during any of these scenes. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with y'all? Call somebody. She calls Chip. She's like, Jennifer got in a van with a bunch of dudes. I don't know. Blah, 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 blah. Here's a noise in her house and then says, I'll call you back. Why would you ever get off the phone 
if you thought there was a noise in your house? Great question. Uh, I got to chalk it up to teenage dumbness. <laughs> so at this point, she's walking around her house, typical horror, like, you know, she's looking in closets and stuff like that. And, you know, where's the noise? She goes to the kitchen and then, bam, out of nowhere, bloody Jennifer is in the house. And she looks like she has been mutilated and fucked up and killed more or less, but she's walking around. She goes to the kitchen, grabs a, uh, a rotisserie chicken from Boston market. Right. It was, every time I see that scene, I go, you know, I could go for some Boston market. You haven't been here before or have you? They're serving something you remember called real meals, a place called Boston market built around ovens, not microwaves or fryers, slow roasted rotisserie chicken, Juicy turkey breast in its own natural juices, tender double glazed ham, and freshly prepared side dishes like mashed potatoes from scratch. Eat like you remember. Except that they serve their cornbread cold, which is a <gasps> fucking abomination yeah. to food. It's northerners. What do you expect? That's the one thing about Boston Market that's just not good. Always serve hot cornbread. Um, anyway, she pukes up the X-Files liquid alien all over um, Needy. Like, this is like this black goo she shoots everywhere. And then the goo starts like moving and dancing on the ground. Um I don't know. It's really awkward. And I guess like just demon vomit vomit does that. Or are we supposed to believe that 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 was the demon itself? Well, the demon must still be in her. So it's just got to be like demon vomit. I guess demon vomit just does weird supernatural shit. You haven't been here before or have you in its own natural juices? Jennifer in full on, you can tell she's got something possessy inside of her because she looks she's about to attack needy like just eat her face off and then she stops and then she leaves and she like leaves the house and um then needy's like what the fucking fuck we smash cut to the next day at school where the kids are like oh my god you know they're, they're talking rumors like i hear that you know so and so fought off the fire barehanded and all this bullshit and then uh they see needy she's sitting there catatonic terrified of what happened not sure what happened to her friend and then jennifer walks in all bubbly and chipper like hey what's going on and everything seems totally fine with jennifer out of nowhere and that's when we get introduced to jk simmons's whatever the hell he is character where he comes in with a loose perm and then he holds up his hook hand and we're talking like not even like cool hook hand, like a pirate hook hand, but like one of those like prosthetic hook hands. I want the backstory to that so bad. Yeah, that that is seemingly out of place. I would like to know the in-story and production backstories to that decision. I got some headcanon for you. Okay. He stuck it in the whirlpool that apparently sucks everything away that we didn't mention that really, I don't know how it comes into play into the story. But uh, yeah, there's a, like a whirlpool that they keep tossing shit into and never comes back to the surface. Yes. Uh, and that's actually, we forgot another major point. The name of this town is called Devil's Kettle. <laughs> that's right. Um, and they have a whirlpool that leads to nowhere that scientists have evidently done a bunch of tests on. They've dropped balls and all sorts of stuff in to see where it comes out. And no one knows where it comes out. Years of research. They've never been able to find this, except at the very end of the movie. It's like a block away from wherever the fuck needy was. And I was like, yeah, like no scientist is ever going to fucking figure this out. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that pissed me off so much. There's pictures. There's a whole scene 
thinking of scientists dropping these like weather balls in there. Yes. Kinda like think Twister when they release all the balls into the Twister. It's kind of like that. Like they're dropping these things into the whirlpool. Like we have no idea where they went. They're just gone forever. <laughs> and they've got to be like maybe half a town over. I mean, I'm sure someone would have been like, hey, these must be all these weather balls that the scientists dropped. Yeah, that part's pretty ridiculous. But maybe, here's the thing, we have an unreliable narrator. We know that Needy's the one telling us the story, right? So she's, what, in the 11th grade, 12th grade? Maybe that's just the town legend, right? That nobody knows where this goes, even though maybe, you know, in real life, the scientists figured it out. But since Needy doesn't know where it goes, nobody knows where it goes in in this particular story. Okay, I like it. All right, John, put in the work there. <laughs> well, that's where uh, that's where his hand went. I dig it. He stuck his hand in the whirlpool. <laughs> it's gone now. <laughs> okay. okay, okay, I like that. So J. Jonah Jameson comes in and is like, I want you guys to get me pictures of Spider-Man, but also if you're suffering from grief, hang in there because, um, you know, we know you're suffering keep it together. And there's a a football player who was friends with one of the football players that died in the bar the night before. And he's completely distraught. I think it is important to to mention throughout this scene is where we first start to see Jennifer is not okay. Uh, Because the whole time everyone's crying and Needy's like, dude, what the hell? Jennifer is cracking jokes. She's like, oh, did anybody die? Well, I guess it sucks for them. Uh, She denies going to needy's house last night and he's like look under my nails and jennifer's like oh yeah you need a a manicure uh so she is just totally not in sync with the rest of her peers or with needy right now yeah that's a really good point you 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 definitely get that indication that something's been switched and so then we cut to outside where that football the letterman football player is crying in the middle of field out in the middle of fucking nowhere the way that this scene is shot is like a camera's on the other side of a football field, and then it zooms in at like Mach 2 while there's like some weird new metal song playing and some guy screaming. We'll get right up to the jock's face. He looks to the left and sees Megan Fox's Jennifer character walking towards him. And then all of a sudden she appears on his right and is like, hey, what's up? And then it's like back to normal, normal movie. And I'm like, what? What was that? Why'd we do that? That was our first indication that that Jennifer has supernatural powers because, you know, and we're saying across the field, we're talking at least, oh, man, at least like 70 to 80 yards. It is a long it's it's a wide shot of like a tiny little dot of a football player. And then when you see it from his perspective, she is just a a tiny little silhouette of a person at the other end of this field. And behind him is a giant wooded forest. This has to take place like somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. Um, But anyway, yeah, he's out there crying. And then Jennifer supernaturally like ends up right next to him, kind of behind him. And he's kind of like, oh, what the hell was that? And then she's like, you know, I was there last night and I was probably the last person to talk to him like ever wow. you, you know what he said Craig said that he always thought you and me would make a totally banging couple isn't that so weird he, he said banging feel my heart Jonas I think it's broken. Mine too. 
you come with me just for a little while it's what craig would have wanted mm-hmm Fuck Jennifer for playing on this guy's emotions right now because this guy is just distraught as hell and she uses this to her advantage, which is really fucking scummy. But I guess she's a demon, so <laughs> part for the course. And then takes him to the woods about maybe 40, 50 feet behind them into these fucking full wooded area. Now, first off, right now, if you live in a town called Devil's Kettle, there's a mystery whirlpool. Um, never go into the woods by yourself with anybody, period. I don't care who you are. Just err on the side of caution. Don't do it. Do you think the grief would override the hormone? No, I wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, anybody would. Nope. I, I get nope. where you're coming from, Garrett, but any 16-year-old boy is, or 17-year-old boy is going to go with her into the woods. I don't even think the grief, I think for me, the fear of basically being in the woods alone with somebody would be enough for me to be like, ooh, I cannot get a heart on here at all. We're done. Like, I'm not going to embarrass myself like that. Let's be honest, you know? That's the same reason I won't fuck in a haunted house. It's the same reason I won't fuck in a cemetery. You won't get me in a morgue. I'm sorry. There's just places that fear is going to basically just kill my heart on. It's not going to happen. So wow. Megan would have been on her, or uh, Jennifer would have been on her own. I would have been like, yo, I appreciate it. If you want to get a room at the Ramada Inn, so like, let's talk. But right now, deuces. No camping sex when you're with Garrett, ladies. Uh, it's survival mode. <laughs> just not going to happen. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> okay. Um, so at this point, this is where it gets really interestingly funny to me because she starts like taking off her shirt and then she takes off his shirt and unzips his pants. And at this point, we get a fucking Disney animated movie scene where every woodland creature starts like circling them and standing around as if she's fucking Snow White about to sing a song. And then she's and then the, the, the jock goes, what is up with this? And she's like, oh, they're here to wait. And I was like, oh, no, it's about to get real grody. And bam, that's when we get our first kill. She just full on devours this dude. Yeah. And this is interesting. So as far as plot holes in the film go, this one is hard for me to headcanon because she only needs to feed when she's weak, we learn. But she literally just fed the day before. And then after this, she doesn't feed for a month. So her feeding schedule is uh, very unclear. Was it a month? I thought she was feeding, but just not like we weren't she seeing She didn't it. really eat much of them. You know, she like tore his belly open and left most of them, what it seemed like most of them in the woods, though. He was lasagna with teeth, Mark. <laughs> so she really went to him. But we saw the body, though. I mean, he, he just looked like he had his, his like torso ripped open and he was just laying there. Gutted him. Yeah. So Professor J.K. Simmons hears this screaming and he's like, that's it, kids. Just let it out. Grieve. I love that part. It's so funny. He just looks at the woods and he's like, let it out, kids. Let it out. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, wait a minute. That sounds a little bit too long. So he actually goes to the woods and that's where he he finds Craig's body. Craig is the name of the football player. He finds Craig's body. And uh, that's when we get the scene where the cops are pulling the body out of the woods and the parents are like, oh, no. And then we get, what is it, the football coach who's all like, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to cut his nuts off and use him as one of those little door knockers with the lions that rich people have. And I was like, this is oddly specific and fucking hilarious. 
So, yeah. Um, and then the cop shows up, the cop that you mentioned, uh, Mark earlier shows up and is like, we'll get that bastard. And then that's the end of her scene. We never see her again. So that had to be someone that the director or the writer knew. When JK Simmons character discovers the body, there's a deer licking his guts. Now, to my understanding, deers are herbivores. I don't know why any deer would be like licking on a jock's uh, lower intestine. That was a little weird and I didn't get it. I feel like we talked about this on this podcast recently, not recently, in the last five years. (laughs) (laughs) That's longer than we've been doing the podcast. Deer are like opportunistic. And if they have the opportunity to eat meat, they will. Now, they, they don't go out and hunt, but if it's around they will eat it. I don't think we've ever discussed this before because that's the first I've heard of that. And that's actually very interesting. Yeah. Are you on another podcast where you talk about animals that pretend to be herbivores, <laughs> but are actually insatiable carnivores? Welcome back to the first blood podcast where John's talking survival skills and nature. <laughs> where did it come up, man? I don't know. Uh, my memory is totally shit, but I remember that because I was astonished. Oh man. Uh, yes. So that was actually, uh, someone I was watching this with also was like, I don't know why all these herbivores are waiting around to eat this body. They're not going to. And I was like, Hmm, good point. Um, but yes, we do get that scene. Also could be the, the spirit of the demon has the effect the demon has on them turns everyone into a carnivore. I'm not going to lie. I thought after she killed them, she was going to do a fucking Disney princess moment where the animals land on her and she sings a song about killing, uh, Craig. I would have, Fucking loved that so much. <laughs> that would have been awesome. That would have been pretty good. I feel so scrumptious. Goody for you. You know when you kiss a boy for the first time and it feels like your entire body is on vibrate? Yeah. It's that good. Well, that's nice. Um, me, I'm still a little bit depressed about, you know, the giant smoldering funeral pyre in the middle of town. MoveOn.org, needy, it's over. Life is too short to be moping around about some white trash pig roast. Megan Fox's Jennifer says that line, and this is kind of where I, I started questioning, okay, what exactly is Jennifer? Okay, so like as this movie plays out, like what what exactly is she a succubus? Is she possessed? Is she a demon? You know what I mean? Like what what exactly is the movie trying to portray this character as? Because she seems to have all of Jennifer's memories, right? She says shit like moveon.org. I don't think any ancient demon is going to be saying things like that if they're pretending to be a human being, but not, right? Which is your classic succubus. Are they somehow melded together? You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I wasn't quite clear. She's possessed. Well, I'm glad you asked, Mark, because later in the movie, uh, there is a scene where Needy does research and the word succubus is put across the screen as if you hadn't figured it out yet. <laughs> right. And But that's my point. A succubus isn't possessing a living person. That's not what a succubus is that I understand. I think they can. I think they can. Um, I believe they could. Uh, it's demonic transference. Uh, so the demon is now trapped in Jennifer. Yes, exactly. Using Jennifer as is her want. But is Jennifer as Jennifer, we know it dead because, or, or like, you know what I mean? Like this is, this is a little bit blurry for me. So, okay. Uh, historical, traditional possession movies. will take the big one exorcist, right? There are moments where Reagan becomes Reagan again. 
There's no point in this movie that I ever think Jennifer is back to normal, period. You know what I mean? So there's a scene later on the movie after uh, Jennifer's done a few more kills that we'll talk about, but she goes to Needy's house. And at this point, Needy knows something is straight up wrong and that um, and has seen Jennifer in her weird kind of demon-esque state. Oh, God. I want to talk about that scene. But um, she says that after she got sacrificed by Low Shoulder, the band who was going to kill her to make a deal with the devil so they could become super world famous and be, you know, rock stars, Um, thinking that she was a virgin because she lied about being a virgin. Jennifer's like, oh, yeah, I'm a virgin. You need to find someone else who knows how to have sex because she thought she was going to get raped. Um, and they're like, cool, we got a virgin. Well, she wasn't a virgin. And then we find out that if you don't have a virgin for the sacrifice, the demon can inhabit, but not fully take over, um, the body. It can basically like kind of, you know, it, it half and halfs it. But anyway, so Jennifer says that, you know, like when I feed, I'm myself, I have supernatural like healing powers. I feel amazing. Basically, all the all the positives of a demon possession, none of the negatives. But then when she starts to get hungry, she reverts to the full demon state, the succubus state, and um, kind of just loses all control and and has to feed and starts looking like shit. I think Jennifer died. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, she gets stabbed a bunch, right? And then when she's telling the story, Needy's like, did you die? And she's like, what? No, I mean, I'm here, right? But Needy's like, well, maybe you died. And I think real Jennifer died and the demon is inheriting, uh, inhabiting Jennifer's body, right? Which, oh, hey, <laughs> uh, accidentally, there's the title. I think it's just her physical form that's left, not whatever Jenniferness uh, existed before. Right. And that's why I felt like this should have been presented more in a Vincent D'Onofrio men in black style where it's a thing pretending to be a human. Hey, your skin is hanging off your bones. Oh, yeah. Uh, is that better? But somehow she has all of, of Jennifer's memories. And that's where I couldn't quite connect. You know what I mean? I'm like, how does she know all this? Why does she keep talking about all these like phrases and things? And, and you know what I mean? She's she's got the demon has full access to somebody's dead memories or a dead person's memories. But she has that line. She has that line where she says that first night when I was starving and I came back, I, I, I could never eat you because you're needy and I love you. Like she's like, I could never like I, I feel like she's got needy's like. I don't think I don't think Jennifer's fully gone because the the demon was stopped from eating needy because of Jennifer's uh, feelings about needy and stuff like that. Yeah, maybe there's remnants because she's using her memory. And with that becomes a certain emotional you know baggage that comes with the memory. Um, but I don't think real Jennifer because otherwise they should have done more of an exorcist style because uh, then Needy just killed Jennifer for no reason. Uh, I I do think real Jennifer is gone. They've either fused into one demon Jennifer or uh, she's dead and the demon is just inhabiting and inheriting uh, Jennifer's bodies and memory. Okay, that's fair. I, I can see that. I mean, I'm not I'm not the expert on this movie. Yeah, I'm not either. I'm. This is just one of the issues I had with it because I, I couldn't quite come to grips with where the movie wanted me to believe like because we're having this conversation is she possessed like traditional is she dead 
Um, or is it just a demon now? Because also there's that whole plot point where Jennifer Demon starts targeting all the boys that Needy's uh, fancies, right? And then I'm like, well, why is, if, if there's still any Jennifer there, why is she making her friend feel like shit? You know, you just said that she admitted that she wouldn't eat her because there's her friend. Then why is she targeting these boys particularly? And I think she should have pulled an anti-Jerry Dandridge and gone to a city instead of going to the suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I think, you know, what you missed or maybe you didn't miss, I don't know, I don't want to put, but Jennifer was never a good friend. Even before she was possessed, she's like, I'll play with Barbie, you play with ugly Amanda or whatever the other doll was, right? And Jennifer needs Needy to be the anti-her, right? I think Jennifer defines herself as someone who is better than Needy. And so when you take that into a demonic form, then it's like, okay, I can prove I'm better than Needy by eating the person that she loves or, you know, or when later she's with Chip, he, she's like, tell me I'm better than needy. And he's like, why? Uh, so part of Jennifer's identity is built upon this friendship with needy. And I think the demon inherits that and then takes it to 11. Okay. That's that, that works. Yeah. But no, yeah. John is absolutely right. Cause there's actually a whole, like during the final showdown at the end, there's a whole, um, conversation where she's like, you've always been a piece of shit friend. And I was like, Oh damn. Okay. She's finally realized it. Nice. Yeah. And I remembered all that. I was just like, did the movie tell me that? Cause I don't know if it showed me that other than that weird 10 frame a second flashback where they're little kids playing in a sandbox. Yeah. They, they give hints to it with the flashbacks and at the end they actually like, and that's one thing at the end they do the thing where they kind of like say everything you were supposed to pick up on just in case you didn't get it earlier in the movie. Yeah. And you see it like in the pre-possession relationship where she just forces needy to do things that needy doesn't want to do there's certain rules like when you know how needy has to dress um she's completely dismissive of needy's boyfriend in that relationship right she belittles it so you see that jennifer isn't necessarily as good a friend to needy as needy is to jennifer Oh, yeah. It's clearly a one-sided, like, a relationship. And, yeah, Needy would be much better off without Jennifer, but Jennifer has convinced Needy that she needs, you know, but I think that's based off of Needy's um, emotional connection to her. Because there's the scene that I was just talking about where she gives the whole backstory about how she got taken into the woods and killed by low shoulder. Um, the the, <laughs> the douchey abandoned existence. Um she she tells him this and then she's like, oh, I killed the the Indian foreign exchange student because I fed that night, you know, like so that after I left your place, I didn't eat you, but I ate this kid instead. That's why the next day I was like all happy and go lucky and everything was fine. Um, but right before that, after she tells him this, she's like, I can't let you do this. She's like, oh, it's fine. She kisses needy. And then Needy's like, okay, everything's forgiven. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, you've just seen all this shit go down. And just because you got a kiss, everything's fucking fine now. So it very much, Needy's relationship is very much based in this, like, love of Jennifer, of more than just being a friend. But for Jennifer, it's clearly a, um, I don't know the word, but it's clearly a beneficial relationship that only benefits uh jennifer yeah it's like parasitic for jennifer she's a, she's a parasite into needy's life great fucking yeah that's exactly right john dude kudos uh, thank you uh i assumed that kiss was because jennifer has some sort of uh like 
arousal field or something like because she's a demon and a succubus she has this ability to uh i think maybe attract people to her because needy eventually like shakes out of it and it's like what the fuck is happening uh like she wasn't necessarily on board once she came back to her senses yeah but they kind of they kind of muddy that water a little bit with these little subtle hints that they they drop into and yes you're right john succubi are known for you know tempting and and they may come off having some sort of aura that would make you more aroused or something right but there's these lines that they keep dropping in the movie like let's uh remember how we used to play boyfriend girlfriend Mm -hmm. and then at the end when they're fighting like she they're fighting with a box cutter and she goes oh nice a box cutter he's like where do you do all your shopping at home depot you butch and i'm like okay <laughs> like so i didn't i couldn't tell exactly if there was like these feelings that needy actually had for jennifer in that way or if this more of this parasitic nature that you're you're mentioning now was it more that maybe that jennifer was tempting her to do these things or have this relationship more than a friendship no needy totally had this stuff because the very first scene where we see um jennifer doing flags and she's like staring at her and like literally like fucking licking her lips practically um the 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 other kid from school the asian girl goes like you're totally lezzy gay for her and she's like uh no i'm not uh uh and she doth protest a bit too much and everything in this movie you know like you know, it indicates that she loves Jennifer. I think that's why she has that connection too. that. Like for her, it's so much deeper than just being a friend for Jennifer. I have no doubt that it's skin deep and that's it. But for needy, it's, there is a emotional thing there for her. And so I think Jennifer just knows that and exploits the fuck out of it for her own devices, even after she becomes a succubus. I must have missed that opening scene. I do remember what you're talking about where she's sitting in the bleachers and the the nerdy Asian girl leans over and says something. I think I was still trying to accept the fact that this girl was supposed to be the plain Jane nerd and not the pretty girl that she actually was. So I, I think in my mind, I just said, oh, that, that, that other nerdy girl is saying, you're friends with the popular cheerleader girl, but you're saying something else was said entirely. So that makes more sense. <laughs> yeah, I would totally agree with that. I think uh, what I think happened in the kiss is it's like a combination, right? Like uh, Jennifer brought out that attraction to like 110%. Right. And that's what like shocked needy. But I I definitely agree. There was something already there for Jennifer to work with. Yeah, because once she kissed her, like she fell back on the bed and then immediately needy was like, oh, my God. Uh, And then jumps on top of her and starts making out with her more. So that's not just a succubus thing. That's a oh, my God, it's finally happening thing for her. But. I think halfway through that, she's like, wait a minute, what the fuck am I doing? I just watched my friend kill, you know, like she, she's like, okay, she, she comes to her better senses. And, um, that's when, um, that's when, uh, Jennifer has to give her the whole sob story of like, look what happened to me. Uh, blah, 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 blah. And you know what? Fuck Jennifer. Fuck Jennifer all around because she's in that van and they're like, what's your name? She gives them their real name. Don't ever give your kidnappers your real name. That's dumb as shit. Um, just everything she does is just, oh, she's such a piece of shit to everybody. She also talks about how like she can never get in trouble because she's fucking a, a, a cadet at the sheriff's office. Um, she plays hello titty with the bartenders to get, no, can't get behind this character. And to kind of, like I mentioned earlier, she's, she's now seducing, um, 
this other boy interest that Needy has. So they're not like boyfriend and girlfriend, but she definitely has an attraction to him. He's this emo kid named Colin with a lip ring. Uh, listening to the maggot rock. He's a he's a goth kid. He's a full on goth kid that Needy has a um, that is in class with. And she's like, oh, he's a really good writer. He's really dark and broody. Yeah, that's right. So Jennifer lures him out to this like house that's under construction under the guise of let's go watch some weird anime about somebody being half sushi. I'm like, what anime is that? Maybe Garrett knows. Aquamarine is what she said. I don't know if that's real, but what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, she's uh, like I said, she lures him out there and there's all these rats around. And I guess whenever there's a demon present, there's going to be minor lesser creatures or something. I don't know if that's part of it, but it seems like all these kills that we witness on screen, there's always like animals hanging out. Uh, and she uh she kills this dude and and he's not into it and he's like what did you want to it is safe to say he is not into being killed <laughs> i would agree with that <laughs> this scene is also interspliced with chip and needy having sex at um chip's place where he puts on a condom by snapping it around his dick like it's a fucking rubber band oh, oh my god i was like dude what are you doing um oh. and then they're fucking and um of course you know he thinks he's Don Juan, but um, Needy is having visions of Jennifer killing Colin, the goth kid, in this abandoned house. And she's freaking out and she's like, oh God, the horror, the horror. And fucking Chip's just like, take it. He just is completely oblivious to this fact. And then she starts crying. And then what does he say? He goes, what's wrong? Am I too big? It's like, damn, bro. The confidence. You got to respect that level of confidence. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, no, that's another um, weird moment where she is seeing what Jennifer's doing while she's not even there. So she's got some kind of weird superpower. So she runs over to, uh, she finds out Colin's been killed the next day. She's driving to go find Jennifer, and that's where um, she runs into Jennifer, like in her weird succubus form out in the street. And that's where she sees, like, she's like, oh my God, she's fucking like weird demon monster. Right. Then we cut to the scene back at Needy's house where she runs in her house, doesn't turn a single fucking light on, and then lays in bed, even though a demon now knows that you know about her. And then that's where Jennifer pops up on the side of the bed. And it was all like needy. And then tells that whole story about how she got killed by the band and on. Oh, also the band low roars plan to kill a virgin to become the greatest band ever. That was already done in extraordinary. So let's be honest. They did it better. Okay. I mean, even that movie came out afterwards. They did it way better. <laughs> Uh, you're, you're, this, this one precedes that by several years, sir. <laughs> I'm saying, I'm saying that extraordinary and spirit beat them to it and did it better. Moveon.org. Jennifer's like, fuck it. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And keeps mentioning that chips looking real nice. And just to be a bitch to needy. Yeah. Oh, a salty morsel. Again, other term slang lingo that no one ever fucking uses. No one's ever called anyone a salty morsel. Um, Real salty. At this point, everyone's just going to go to the dance. We can't skip the funeral. Oh, God, yes, please. After Jennifer leaves Needy, it cuts to the funeral for Colin. And we see his two goth friends. And they're just like weeping. And they're like, it's just his physical form. He's out there flying with the ferment or flying through the ferment or some nonsense. And then, his, you know, the other friend's like, I... I 
I don't think Colin would have, or I think Colin would have liked this. And finally, his mom flips and she snaps and she's like, oh, you think Colin would have liked this? You think he would have liked being uh, eaten and being a lasagna with teeth? I know because I had to go identify his remains. He's not flying in the ferment. He is in a overpriced box six feet in the ground. Uh, You kids don't know shit about pain. I have the monopoly on pain. Uh, and then it just cuts, which was like the most ridiculous but awesome scene. Yeah, it was so I mean, again, it was funny. And the fact that like it was played out really well, the term she was using, I was like, I don't think any grieving mother is going to be like, he's a lasagna with teeth. No one's going to refer to their fucking mutilated child as that at their funeral. But regardless, I don't know. I've never had a kid get eaten by a succubus so i don't know how i'd react either so um yes so now we're going to cut to the dance now this is the most like expensive dance i've ever seen the the decorations alone had to set them back thousands of dollars and i don't know if you've ever been to a school dance but usually it's like two cardboard cutouts and a dj who's doing it for half price (laughs) but um Everyone's getting ready for the dance. Chip's getting ready to go meet Needy. Needy and Chip break up. Yeah, because Needy says it's too dangerous for you to be with me right now. And so they're on a break. And poor Chip, he's like, I already bought your corsage. That cost me $12. Hey, look, in high school, that's that's not insignificant. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> they're at the dance. The dance is getting ready. Um, President J.K. Simmons comes on and was all like, hey, you kids. I know it's been tough, but the band Low Shoulder is here to basically play a tribute for all the kids and tragedies that have happened here. So put your hands together. They're going to be coming on. Check out the refreshments. We've got Pecan Sandies. And I was immediately like, this place needs to burn to the ground. I was like, whoever fucking brought Pecan Sandies as a goddamn refreshment to a dance, this place needs to be burned alive. Wow. Just like the bar, huh? Exactly. This scene makes me laugh because it calls back to the bar where he gets on the stage for this supposed sympathy, you know, concert. And he's like, what's up, Devil's Lake? And they're like, it's Devil's Kettle. And he goes, fucking right it is. (laughs) Uh, Which he... Calls back to that's how he opened the the show in the bar too. Just showing he doesn't give a shit about this community. The singer, the lead singer of Low Shoulder, he's just here for the fame. Yeah, he clearly is doing it because the 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 tragedy they for somehow the rumor got started that they pulled a bunch of people out of the fire alive at the bar, and so they've got this like recognition. Um, sure, partially with the deal with the devil, but um, yeah, they're doing this as a kind of a benefit thing. I need to again mention that I don't think this is a competent satanic indie rock train maroon five level band. These guys are they're they're very incompetent here. I mean, why would you go back to the site of where you murdered a girl? You did it incorrectly, by the way. Somehow got famous by accident because I assumed they needed to get the ritual correct, right? They didn't sacrifice a virgin. Now they brought a demon into this world. They did. Yet they got famous because they, quote unquote, helped kids get out of a burning bar, mm-hmm. right? And that's why their radio hit went super mega hit or whatever. And now they're back and they're going to donate 3% of all proceeds of their single to the school. I don't know, man. Like, 
This just seems like really, really dumb move. Like they already got what they needed. Let's talk about people who want to be in a band just to be famous. All right. Those people are already kind of shitty anyway. So (laughs) fuck them. But yes, no, these guys are bad at what they do. Now, for all they know, it worked because they did get famous after committing the murder, but they did do it incorrectly. And so therefore, you know, they're not going to get, you'll, you'll find out later what happens. But, um, yeah, they're just there because they're kind of riding the high of like, oh, I guess we'll do this. And that's that's just kind of who they are. They're a bunch of douchey dudes. Chip is on his way to the dance. Chip is walking through like the creepiest fog filled field. I'll say that three times fast. Um, and then out of nowhere, Jennifer's kind of like pacing him behind in the shadows. Now, that was a really great shot. I thought that was incredibly creepy and gorgeous. And then bam, out of nowhere, she's right up on him. She's going to put the moves on him. She's going to totally like get down with chip now. Cause she's got a feed because she's looking pretty haggard and she's got to go to this dance. So she's got a feed to look good. She's going to take him to the top of a hill where an abandoned swimming pool is inside a fucking military bunker or some shit. I don't know. What building was that? It was, yeah, it was an abandoned pool somehow, like an abandoned community pool that they just, left there to become a filthy dump you know as one does it looked like a resident evil like set it was just so weird and overgrown and disgusting and i was like someone would have done something with this random full-size olympic pool in a building on top of this scenic hill but i guess not not in devil's kettle but anyway so she takes chip up there after convincing him that Needy doesn't really like him like that, but she does. And she's always had feelings, but she's never been able to say it. She tells him that Needy has been banging Colin. That's why uh, she's been so distraught since his death, because, you know, he, Jennifer's like, it pains me to tell you this, but those two are getting it on on the regular. Uh, so she's just like, what? Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's one of the things that it before because Chip doesn't immediately fall for Jennifer's charm. So she tries the look. I've always found you so hot approach. And when he still pulls back, she's like, ah, I didn't want to tell you this. It pains me to tell you this. But Needy has been cheating on you. And that's why she's been so distraught. Blah, 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 blah. Holy shit. Yeah. I missed that. That's fucked up, man. Damn, God damn it, Jennifer. You piece of garbage. It's all part <laughs> of the trickery, man. You know? Yeah. And that's when Chip finally caves and starts making out with her. Yeah. And then they're going to go up to the, uh, the abandoned building slash pool slash Resident Evil location. Um, to do what? I don't know. If a girl took you into that location, would you be like, we're going to fuck here? Because that place has got to smell like the bog of eternal stench. That place was... Oh, it was disgusting. Yeah, I agree with you here. The woods, I probably would have been eaten. I'd be like, (laughs) all right, let's go to the woods. That's fine. This place, though, I think even as a teenager, I would have been like, I don't want to get like tetanus. So, (laughs) well, like later on, so she gets him inside and um, as she's. She's she's putting the moves on Chip and they're kind of sitting there on the edge of the pool and they're like, oh, well, okay, I I guess I'll do this. And at this point, Needy has a vision, right, about what's about to happen to Chip. She like senses uh, that that something's gone awry. And so she runs to Chip's house as opposed to where Chip is. And she's like, where's Chip? And then Chip's mom goes, he's off to the dance. And she's like, which way was that? And I was like, you're at his house. You know which way the school is from your home this home but um she's like that way so she runs off she ends up basically hearing a scream 
and uh, runs up there. And inside, at one point, Jennifer had pushed him into the water, the, the grossest Jardia filled swamp water you've ever seen. And it's just like munching on his neck in the pool when Needy busts in. She's like, what are you doing? And at that point, that's when Jennifer turns around and is like, he's all mine now, bitch. This is where we get our showdown. Which I did I did really like this end scene, especially when Jennifer floats out of the pool. I thought that scene was pretty rad. Oh, what was the line that she says? That was one of my favorites. Uh, Chip's like, you could fly now? And Needy goes, she's just floating. It's not that impressive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That was such a great line. She just totally dismisses the fact that she can float through the air. And then, yeah, so Jennifer's like, I'm going to, you know, like, you're nothing. I'm just going to kill you to get out of the way. And so they kind of have a little bit of a fight. And as they're fighting, um, Chip, whose neck is basically bitten open by succubus demon uh, Jennifer, who's still in that water, he was like, he crawls out of the water and she's like, don't, oh, um, Needy's like, don't worry, we're going to get you some help. And I was like, there's no help in this dude. That isn't so infected. That thing is, he's going to die, if not from blood loss, from this infected wound. Um, so Jennifer and Needy kind of start fighting in their dresses. And then, bam, out of nowhere, Chip stands up with a broken pool skimmer and stabs Jennifer right through the stomach. And it's like massively. And then what does she say? I'm not a... Oh, no. She says, do you have any tampons? Yeah. When she pulls it out. To plug the hole where she was stabbed. And I was like, okay, that was dumb. But that was actually really funny. (laughs) I really enjoyed that line quite a bit. And so she runs off. And this is where um, Needy's like, don't worry, Chip. We're going to save you. He's like... And, and fuck this line. I, I get it, but like this was so cheesy and cliche. I think Chip says, it's okay. I'm pretty sure I was already dead, but then I heard your voice and it brought me back Yeah, because I just had to tell you I love you. And I was like, fuck you, Chip. Die. <laughs> I was like, go to hell already. Bro, Chip spit in game to the very end. <laughs> the man's like, if I'm going out, I'm going out on a high note. What up, dog? Exactly. Don't hate the player, hate the game, son. Needy's like, okay, she killed my boyfriend. I've got to go take care of this. And this is where Needy decides that she's got to take Jennifer slash Succubus Demon out completely. And then we cut back to the scene at the very beginning where we see Needy creeping outside of Jennifer's room. Now, this is the one part of the movie that I'm going to have to, I apologize, listeners. We get a shot of Megan Fox. It's a slow pan up of Megan Fox on her bed in her underwear wearing leg warmers. And I don't know if it's just because I'm a kid of the 80s, but there is just something about a lady in leg warmers that does it for me every time. This whole movie, I was like, okay, I get a lot of people went and see this movie because Megan Fox is like attractive. But I was like, eh, the whole movie. When this scene came on, I was like, there it is. Sold. (laughs) Worth every penny I spent on this. Fair enough. No, go. Come on, guys. Pick it up. Well, uh, she she is hired for her looks. <laughs> no, I did. I, was, I thought it was funny because like I never really thought of like this movie as like, oh, my God, Megan Fox. But, you know, got some of the uh, the reviews. Ugh, it's kind of disgusting. But yeah, no, when that popped up, I was like, all right, I get it. I'm sold. <laughs> I'm on board. <laughs> then we smash cut to the the scene of Needy jumping through her window. <laughs> In the goofiest fashion possible, she jumps through the window like she's like a SEAL Team 6 member and then jumps on top of uh, Jennifer and then they're fighting with box cutters and then 
bam, 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 bam. Jennifer just gets it. Needy just stabs her right through the chest with the uh, the box cutter. And what does she say? She says, ow, my tit. Yeah. And then Needy goes, no, your heart. And I was like, oh, with witty wordplay like that, I don't know why this didn't get best screen. Oh, I don't even remember the category. Best screenwriters, best screenplay. There it is. God. I rolled my eyes so hard they fell out of my head. But um, yeah, so she kills it. And then the mom, Jennifer's mom comes in and is like, oh my God, my daughter, what have you done? And then we cut to Needy in her prison um, cell. I thought this movie was over. Boy, did it fool me. We still have a movie to go. It's like five minutes left, Mark. <laughs> well, take us home, John. What we learn is Needy tells us what a lot of occult scholars don't know is if you get bit by a demon and live, you get to have some of their power. This was news to me. Did, I'm not a scholar, though. Yeah. If the occult scholars don't know, how would I know? <laughs> Checks out. So she floats up. She breaks out of her uh, isolation cell, breaks out of the asylum, starts walking down the street. She gets picked up by some guy, you know, an older guy, and is like, hey, where are you going? She's like, I'm going to town. Uh, I'm going to see a band. Tonight's going to be their final show. Did you see when she got picked up, the sign on the, 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 sign on the side of the road said low shoulder? Oh, there. And also, did you notice who the old man was in the car? No. It was Lance Henriksen. You didn't recognize old Lance? No. I, I mean, I've said this on the podcast many times. Every movie I watch is essentially uh, the first time I've seen any of those people. A fresh movie? <laughs> yeah. I am the worst at uh, picking up actors in different roles. Like, if it's not one of the super A-list celebrities, I will probably claim I've never seen you before. <laughs> That's great. I just thought it was really cool to see Lance Hendrickson pop up. And then, yes, John, as you were saying, during the credits... Uh, yeah, we see uh, Low Shoulder sort of living the rock band life, you know, hotel rooms, girls, uh, drugs, etc. Um, oh, but here's Needy, and we kind of get security camera footage of Needy breaking into their room, uh... Kills all of Low Shoulder, and then we get like crime scene photos of Low Shoulder's dead bodies. The end. So they got theirs because Needy was going to get revenge for what they did to her best friend, Jennifer. But I thought she didn't like her. I thought she was a bad friend. Well, remember? It's the principle of the matter. I think Needy was getting revenge for everybody. Uh, I mean, through extension, they killed Chip. Hmm. Good point. Good point. She did flash back when she was talking about killing them. She did flash back to all the different people who died in that first bar. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think it definitely was more about everyone else as opposed to Jennifer. Well, okay. And as a as a side note for all the listeners out there, um, this movie has one of the greatest things to ever be in a movie. And it's a, a whole special place in my heart. In the final scenes, when we see Needy doing what she has to do and get in that car, she has a sleeveless hoodie on. And I just want to take a moment to give a shout out to sleeveless hoodies everywhere. And if you're not on board the sleeveless hoodie train, get the fuck out. For when your ears are cold, but not your arms. Look, it makes it more aerodynamic when I'm like out there and about, but I've got to keep my head warm. Not all of us have luxurious heads of hair, John. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Well, like I said at the beginning of the movie, this this one just uh, wasn't for me all that much. And talking uh, with you guys about it, it uh, ironed out some of the, the questions I had. So 
I, uh, I'm a little softened on it, but I still, uh, again, I'm just not big into these like high school dramas. And, and I know that's just the backdrop for this movie, but I would, I wanted a little more horror out of it and then a little less of the, the let's go to the prom and, and all that other stuff. So for me in that way, I think it's just not for me. If you're into that kind of stuff and you want a little twist on it with some suck you by action, then this, I guess this would be a competently made film. I don't think I hate it because it's a bad movie per se. I think it's just, it's just not anything that I would be interested in. So for that reason, I wouldn't recommend it. I do recommend this movie overall from start to finish. I didn't have a bad time with this movie. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed laughing with it. Um, I loved yelling at it. Just it's, it's definitely a recommend for me. It's not like at the top of my list. I wouldn't say stop what you're doing. You know, don't go see the new Candyman and see Jennifer's body. But if you're looking for just a fun, cheesy, goofy, like, you know, comedy horror, this is this is the way to go. Uh, yeah, I think it's um, pretty obvious I'd recommend it. I think this movie gets a bad rap uh, and it's much better than uh, the popular opinion on it leads one to believe. Yeah, that's agreed. I do think this movie gets a an unfair bad rap just due to people's like preconceived invalid um, beliefs that Megan Fox is a bad actress and ruined this movie because I don't think she did. I think she did a fine job. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's kind of unfortunate. You know, you kind of see that with a lot of stuff that she gets cast in. You know, I remember when she was cast as April O'Neil in the, the Turtles movies, everyone was like, oh God, here we go. And I was like, I don't see the problem. April O'Neil is not like a really complex character. Like, I don't think that she's going to ruin this role, you guys. Will you go watch Jonah Hex and then get back to me and we'll talk. (laughs) Okay, I will. All right. Well, listener, have you seen Jennifer's Body? What do you think of it? Let us know on our Instagram, our Facebook, our Twitter. You can find more of our content at thegravetalk.com. If you have any recommendations or things you'd like us to watch and review, let us know and we'll throw it into the mix. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. 